Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Evolutionary.org Hardcore Podcast coming your way. This is episode 104. Steve Smee here in the Mobster checking in. What's up, man? What's up, bosses, guy? Let's see what we can do. All right. He's checking in from uh, across the pond. So this is going to be episode 104. And this time we're going to talk about Jay Cutler. So Jay Cutler was a bodybuilder. We're not talking about the football player, Jay Cutler, by the way. (laughs) Uh, We're talking about Jay Cutler, the bodybuilder. And Jay Cutler is interesting because he was a Mr. Olympia champion 2006 through 2010. But in 2008, he got second place. So four out of those five years, he was the Mr. Olympia champion. He got beat in 2008 by a guy named Dexter Jackson. And Dexter Jackson ended up beating him. He had 32 points, and Jay Cutler had 39 points. So it was a very, very close Mr. Olympia that year. And Jay Cutler, what was interesting is he ended up coming back, not once, but twice, in winning the Mr. Olympia in 2009 and 2010. So his stats, mobster, 5'10", 290 pounds. He competed at 260 pounds. So he was a, he was a beast, and you guys, you guys know that. I'm sure you pull up pictures of him. And, uh, you know, he has, a, he has a history, just like a lot of bodybuilders. Um, he started out um, from age 11. He worked in his brother's concrete construction business. So he started out in the trades at a very, very young age. He started training in his late teens. And he graduated in college, and he got a degree in criminal justice. So he wanted to work in the, in the um, prison system. Um, you know, working in a jail and such. So, but he ended up meeting a guy named Marcos Rodriguez, and he was a personal trainer. And this personal trainer thought that Cutler had a gift for bodybuilding. So the personal trainer got him into it. And in 1993, Jay Cutler ends up winning the first overall at the Iron Bodies Invitational, and he got, um, in 1992, he, he, before that, he got first place at the Gold's Gym, um, Worcester, I don't think it's pronounced Worcester, how's it pronounced, uh, Mobster? (laughs) Worcester, right? It's it's Worcester in America, it's Worcester over here. Yeah, I think even here, if you talk to someone from New England, they'll slap you if you call it Worcester, but... Yeah. Yeah. So that he actually got second place in that one. So he he was really really gifted from from a young age, and he started to start. He started winning in the early two thousands. He won the Arnold Classic titles and um, in the early to mid two thousands. He got second place to Ronnie Coleman at the Mister Olympia in two thousand four. 
And, you know, from then he, he started winning. Uh, he claimed the title in 2006. So he kind of uh, started out with a lot, like a lot of guys from a young age. He, he, um, he got into bodybuilding uh, in his late teens and he really excelled at it very, very quickly. Um, <clears throat> as of this podcast, he's 47 years old. He was born in 1973. So he just turned 47 um, as of this podcast. So depending on when you're listening to it. Mom, sir, what do you know about his uh, childhood that you want to add? I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, you, you've, he's talked to, in, in some depth about this business of working with concrete and how that created the work ethic, which continues into today. He's, he's still working hard on his business. There's, there's some great photographs of him, I believe, 18, 19, 20, when he looks to be 230, 240 pounds in those photographs. It's a young, very young face, but quite mature physically. And, uh, yeah, the, 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 the work thing is where, you know, the guys are getting up at four or five o'clock in the morning, hitting the road and on, on site, grafting, turning concrete over, which anybody that's ever done work with wet cement, wet concrete knows is, is proper work. It's hard, it's physical, and it certainly prepared him for the stuff that he was doing in the gym. And in terms of working with the family business, the man works like a machine today. These, these videos that he puts out and, and the YouTube stuff and whatever else, nine times out of 10, up until very recently, they were in his office. This is, he's got multiple businesses, multiple investments. His physique now, retired, is probably about as, in, especially in, in, in lockdown, has been just about as good as it's, uh, it's ever been. Uh, prior to you know pre pre working competing as a professional bodybuilder for a, for a, for a fella that's probably on and we'll get to that in a minute who's probably on TRT now he looks pretty fucking amazing and i think that comes down to getting stuff done every single day training every single day and all these kind of things so yeah the the the, the upbringing made a big big impact on on the bodybuilder that we see before us today steve for, for sure You. Yeah, so let's talk about what Jay Cutler did um, to to get that Mr. Olympia physique. So if you take a look, uh, we have a link, and uh, we you know you can take a look at what we think he would uh, would have used um, at that time. And this was back in the you know late two thousands into twenty ten. Um, you know, it was a lot of, a lot of testosterone type of esters. Um, in this, in this example, he used sustenance at 1500 milligrams a week. You have to remember AI's uh, aromacin was available to these guys. So he was taking a lot of aromacin with it and that cut down on the water weight. Dianabol, 100 milligrams a day of Dianabol. Anadrol, 100 milligrams a day of Anadrol. Even though Anadrol is a DHT derivative, it does bind to estrogen receptors, so it does cause a lot of, of, of water retention. So he was able to kind of counteract that. You know, you know, there's different ways to counteract that, but, I mean, if you throw a lot of aromacin at your body, it's not really going to counteract the Anadrol because Anadrol doesn't aromatize. So... We could theorize maybe he used some Novadex to kind of block those receptors, and um, we could theorize that, but we don't know for sure. Another thing we think that he may have used was Decadurabolin at 200 milligrams a day. And then obviously he's going to use HGH 12 IUs a day. 
Um, you know, he could have used something like cartering DMP for fat burning and, you know, a lot of liver support, you know, the N2 guard, lots of N2 guard. He needs that, add that liver support as well. The tutka and the milk thistle, all that good stuff. Yeah, I was just going to say, in regards to the, uh, the suggested drugs, I'm going to, uh, quite often with these things, it's a, it's a second best guess. And I actually think this is very accurate. You, you, we've seen photographs of uh, Jay when he was in his Olympia years, when he was a contender or when he was winning. And one of the accusations was that he would hold water in his lower back. And there were literally photographs of him doing certain back poses and the skin would look puffy, would look water-filled. There was lines and creases there when the rest of him would dry it. And then, of course, we know that when he returned to winning the Mr. Olympia, his condition was absolutely spot on. It was like he was always had this huge whip, even as a teenager, which I mentioned earlier on. He was he was a big guy on a on a five foot ten frame, two sixty on stage, always wide. Sometimes accusations of whip from the hip, but he would have this thing where there was a tiny sheen of water, which suggests watery drugs, and it took certain tweaks. To, to get him down into that kind of condition. That, 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 I'm thinking of the muscular development front cover, which people actually thought was Photoshop when he looked absolutely godlike with cross serrations on his quads, which were always good. But we had, he finally nailed the dry this and whether, whether he manipulated uh, the amount of dynabold he was using, which would have possibly caused the water retention, whether these are just great drugs for him in terms of his bulk and size, or whether he was using diuretics. I mean, one thing, as Steve and I said this, uh, uh, off air, which we can 100% guarantee, and I'm, I'm kind of laughing when I say it, was the growth hormone, and specifically growth hormone and peptides. There is a famous, and you guys can find this screenshot online, there are video clips of it, etc. He put out a video, the name of which is Casey, I can't remember which one it was, and they, uh, a later version of it didn't include this thing, but the original version did. And essentially he's doing, he's doing one of those lifestyles that are rich and famous, home tours he's showing you around his very nice las vegas house and it's one of the earlier ones that he had very nice and you go into the kitchen and they open the refrigerator and there are peptides in the door people there are drugs in the door on camera and it just it's obviously such a natural thing that it didn't occur to them that you're going to be putting this video out for everybody to see. Later versions of the video did not include this scene, or they included a version of the scene where there's nothing in the door. But the original clip has Jay Cutler opening the door, he's looking into the fridge, and the door's got one of those little boxes, and you can see the amp, <laughs> I'm laughing, but you can see the amps lined up on camera. It's one of the things that got by. And it's almost certainly some sort of a growth hormone and some kind of peptide possibly IGF, possibly a couple of other things in there. I think off the top of my head, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering the screenshot, there's at least three or four amps in a line in this compartment in the fridge door. So we know for a fact he's using growth hormone or some sort of fragmented peptide for, for sure. And again, the, that scene from memory is going to be just about the time where he starts really nailing his condition because he was always a great bodybuilder, but to get dry at his size, coming in at 260, with those amazing quads, with the, with the waist, with the, even with the hair thing, he's just nailing every single thing. But he actually managed to get rid of that water in his lower back, from the huge shoulder width from everything else that he had. So, yeah, that suggests that the drug profiles that we're looking at here and that we're discussing are probably very, very accurate because it, it, it suits, I think, would be the kind of thing that we can see Jay Cutler doing to be, be in the bodybuilder he is. My gut feeling is now on some sort of TRC, possibly high level, 
but he still maintains a very muscular physique. And in fact, just recently did a uh, training video just towards the end of lockdown where he ends up in a uh, gym, uh, the wrong side of Las Vegas, some, some distance out. And Milos Sarsov's there. And they have a tiny little bit of a pose down. Milos is getting into condition. And Jay hikes his shorts up and his quads have got all those lines in. And this is a retired professional bodybuilder staying in shape. So, yeah, lots and lots of muscle tissue. But certainly the cycles that we're talking about then, I can see that this cycle is almost, it's probably 95% accurate, especially in regards to test on the Dynabol. Uh, and certainly I think it probably, the, the, the HGH is almost certainly spot on at around 12 IUs a day. I can see this, this bone structure of Jay, uh, the, the, the head size, and I say that as a larger head of gentleman myself, I can see that the head size and the bone structure of Jay seems to be of influence either naturally, uh, initially, and then later on with, with growth hormone for sure. Back to you, Steve. Yeah, and why did they use you know, HGH and these G GHRPs, growth hormone releasing peptides, um, you know, a big reason why I think Jay Cutler was a kind of a pioneer in that. I think around that time is when they started just starting learning about this. So his earlier cycles would not have had peptides in there and would not have had as much HGH in there. So if we transition to what guys are running today, 10, 15 years later, it's a lot more peptides and it's a lot more HGH and it's a lot more insulin on top of that. Because what happens is you're going to run all that, that HGH and those, those peptides. What happens is they cause your blood sugar levels, your glucose levels to shoot up when you're taking them. So the insulin use, you throw in the insulin use that brings your blood sugar and you know, blood sugar back down to earth. And that allows you to nutrition partition what the, the meals are eating. So they were, they're running peptides constantly throughout the day. They're running insulin. They're trying to run insulin, especially on their, around their, uh, before their bigger meals so they can properly partition that food. It's almost a waste for them to not use these peptides, the HGH, and the insulin around their meals because then their meal becomes less efficient. A normal human who eats that kind of food, that much food is not gonna be able to absorb all that nutrition from the food. So that's why they're able to get so big and they have the genetics to be able to get so big. And if you were to follow that as a, as a normal gym rat, you would end up just getting fat. But in their case, they got huge and ripped at the same time. It was really amazing. I'm, I'm thinking of two things, actually. One which you've touched upon already um, is this early use of the peptides and stuff like that. And I'll tell you what, what makes me think that is correct is there's two things that stick in my mind. One is that he's what sometimes people call the pro's pro. So I can see him advising and getting advice and swapping tips Somebody will just be quite secretly. They, and I don't just mean we don't want you to know what we're doing because I don't want you to know I'm using drugs, but no, this whole specifics of drug cycles and manipulations or whatever else. But I can see, and I believe Dexter Jackson is probably included in this, that Jay Cutler and, and Dexter would be the kind of guys that will swap information with guys that they're friends with. And the other thing which, which occurs to me, as I believe that um, Jay Cutler was one of the first professional, top professional bodybuilders that was working with Chris Aceto. 
uh, certainly in the years when he became uh, Mr. Olympia or a contender for the Mr. Olympia. So I can certainly see that he would be, with, with the little that we know about the uh, supplement, shall we say, uh, uh, suggestions that Chris would come up with in terms of getting guys in the condition and, and use of diuretics and whatever else. I can certainly see that Jay would definitely be the kind of guy that would be out there experimenting with some of these things in small dosages. Doesn't have to go crazy when you're experimenting. In fact, as, as I'm still Steve for me would agree. When it comes to experimental side of things, do things low just to see what the effects are. And I think that Jay would have probably been one of the earlier users, uh, certainly with the guidance of Chris, and certainly with the information that I think he was picking up because he seems to be that kind of person from the other athletes around him that were willing to and that he was friends with that would share that kind of information with each other. So, yeah, 100%. And again, I'm, I'm thinking about timescales again when we, when we know Chris Sosita was evolved, when we know that he was starting to get dry, when he started to perfect his condition, the fact that he was able to lose and then come back. And uh, when he came back, he, was, he wasn't just, you know, Something, the other guy made a mistake. He was a better bodybuilder. And that suggests, again, as we know for timescales, that peptides were coming in, there was manipulations there. And, um, you know, maybe it was one of those things that you'd haven't given over to Chris. Sometimes with the gurus, it was almost like you have to put yourself in their hands rather than rely on the information that's got you to where you are in your own particular personal experience. But again, Jay strikes me as a kind of fellow that I've been writing this stuff turned down or memorizing it. He seems very good at that sort of thing when, when he's talking on camera as well. So I can see that he'd be saying, listen, this is what I've done. This is what worked so far. This is what we've done in the past. Somebody have no idea. I think Jay's a very clever fella. And I can see him being 100% able to sit down and go, this is what we did this year. This is what we did this year. This is how long I dieted for. What do you think we need to change and being and, and being quite capable of being able to put that information across and working with a guy like Chris? But it all seems to tie together in my mind that with the peptide manipulation with the growth and uh, just just as a workout, there are workouts. I believe there's some of his more early YouTube stuff as him training at 11 o'clock at night, doing cardio late in the evening. When, when Vegas is cooled down and just training when he wants to train and doing all those kind of things. So there's a little bit uh, uh, doing all the business that he needs at the day and then hitting the gym 11, 12 o'clock at night, you know, all this kind of crazy stuff. So yeah, I think it all ties together, Steve, 100%, mate. Back to you. Yeah, you mentioned diuretics and the 2001 hmm. Mr. Olympia, he actually got popped for, for diuretics. A lot of people don't know that, which is hilarious considering you know, this is bodybuilding and we know these guys are on tons of stuff, but just thought I would um, throw that in. Um, he actually sued and got that removed, by the way. That was the rumor. Can I, can I touch on that for a second? I, I was fascinated at the time. And this, is, this goes back to what I said about how clever he is and why I think everything else works as well. He quite properly pointed out that, that they weren't legally doing all the things that they were supposed to do. So to then suggest that they could test the Olympia competitors, which would be the pro of pros, the top 20 guys in the world, whatever. But when you're supposed to be a drug-free organization, I think he said essentially that their own rules were being broken. So he said, listen, if, you're, if the organization's rule says everybody's supposed to be drug tested and you don't drug test them, and then you only test us 20 guys that are in the Mr. Olympia or the Arnold Classic, you've broken your own rules. And I think, he, I think the gist of it was that he was quite happy to stand up in court and bite the bullet and say, listen, this is what I've done. This is what you're doing. You can't do what you've done. And I think they suddenly realised that this guy was actually prepared to spend the cash and take with a lawyer with him to court 
and put them on the stand and say, yes, and if you ain't testing the guys, if you aren't doing the things that you're supposed to be doing, you've broken your own rules, therefore you owe me the money, give me the money. So I believe they backed down. That, that was quite interesting. And it gets what a sense of the guy's intelligence and, and, and his wherewithal and, and, uh, and his business sense. Not only that, he's done that, he's threatened that, he's gotten them to back down, and then he stays in the organisation. That, that says even greater sense of the man, because I could quite easily see that whoever it is, the powers that be, uh, quote-unquote, punishing him with crappy places afterwards, but that didn't happen. So that, that's, that's a really good sort of uh, indication of just how strong mentally, physically, emotionally, logically, whatever you want to say about Jay Cutler. That, again, when I say the pro, one of the pros, pros, him and Dexter Jackson, right up there, because that could have got, that could have got really messy, gone really bad, and affected his, his, his placements and scores, and he didn't do that. In fact, as we know, he come back a couple of years later, better than ever, and, and won again, and makes the money that he makes, and is the businessman he is today. So, yeah, fantastic, really. All things, other people would have crumbled, and their places would have gone. When, when the guys come from different organizations, you know, they, they got punished either with cash fines or, or bad places, and that didn't happen to Jay. So that's very interesting, Steve, for sure, 100%. That is so we, yeah, so if we transition to what guys today would be using, I would say it's more, um, more HGH, more, more of the peptides. But a big thing that they're using now is Trend, and Trend has, uh, has become, you know, the nectar, the golden nectar, um, in today's bodybuilding and a lot of guys are abusing and I wonder if with all the guys you know who have passed away the past few years the big names if guys are kind of moving away from trend and back to the more traditional more less you know less side effect type of, of steroids but nevertheless now instead of using DECA 200 milligrams a day they're using trend 100 or 150 milligrams a day, you know, or 200 milligrams a day. So, you know, they're throwing in that DECA that instead of using Dianable, they're, they're probably using, they're, they're more using some drier compounds, maybe Anovar at 100 milligrams a day or Winstrol at 100 milligrams a day. Um, and then the Masteron, don't forget the Masteron, that's something that works very well with the trend. So you can expect today instead of using, you know, tons of testosterone on, in their cycle, maybe they reduce the testosterone a little bit and they up the Masteron. Maybe they're using over a gram or a gram and a half of Masteron a week. And that kind of hardens them up, especially as you get closer to the competition. I'm thinking of two things, one which ties in with what you just said, and that's literally the length of time uh, that these guys are in the sport. And if Jay Cutler is a good example of that, he's probably exactly what you just said. If we're guessing, and I think this cycle is very accurate, that there was either little or no trend in it at all, and the dosages, uh, while they would be high for me, would be not that high for Jay. I'm guessing what you said is pr probably about right, that the guys up in the dosages and especially putting in the trend is why we're seeing guys come in, burn very, very brightly, do fantastically well, look like the next thing and then disappearing. Whereas I said earlier on, Jay still looks like he could compete right now, certainly in the master's class. I mean, he's not standing next to any professional bodybuilders on stage at the minute, but he looks pretty fucking good for a guy that's uh, 47 years of age and, what, 10 years off the stage, getting on towards 10 years off the stage. So, yeah, maybe that suggests to me that what you said is quite correct, that the harsher drugs 
Ritalin especially, with its side effects, and the higher dosages are actually reducing the time that these guys are spending in the sport. And, us, and Dexter Jackson, again, and we'll probably can hopefully do something on Dexter later on, but Dexter Jackson, again, is probably a good example of adding weight very, very slowly and being probably the most competed uh, uh, professional bodybuilder. Jay looks like he could go back on stage. 47 years of age, look like he could hold his own. That's probably a sense of what we're getting at here, guys, that the, the stronger drugs, the harsher drugs, the ones with the side effects, the ones that some people can't stay on, full stop. Uh, they literally, they go on training and weeks later, they're, they're coming off training, they just can't handle it. So I can see that this would be probably true, Jay, not using the harsher drugs, not using the high-end doses, and being able to look amazing and, and, and stage ready uh, for a 47-year-old is pretty damn good. And, you know, the, I mean, there was even a suggestion, bearing in mind what's just happened with the Mr. Olympia and the potential for four Mr. O's title winners to be on stage, there was actually a suggestion at some point that Jay was getting in shape to compete. Now, I, I don't think that's the case. I can't see him on stage as a Mr. Olympia, on, on the Mr. Olympia stage, although he would technically be qualified. But, uh, yeah, the fact that he looks the way that he does, I think it's, it's 100% Steve, what you're saying. No, little or no trend. A little bit higher on the dosage side than, than I would prefer, but not certainly not Boston Lloyd, etc. excessive, nowhere near those kind of numbers. And this is why he still looks good, why he's still training, why he's still able to kick ass and he's still able to say names. And, and uh, so, yeah, I think so. And again, I, mean, I think the numbers that you mentioned earlier, well, my quick uh, history lesson, I'm going to have a look right now where we're talking, you're talking about uh, a comp competing for 20-something years. I'm just going to look here. I'm 13 years. <sighs> 21 years he was competing. From, from 1992 to 2013. 21 years, people. That's, that's the, none of the, the guys, and I'm, I'm not going to name names, but I can think of UK bodybuilders, never mind American bodybuilders, I'd be very surprised if we see him on stage for four or five years. And that's going to be, it's got to be down to the impact that the dosages are having. It's got to be down to the harder, uh, harder to uh, put up with drugs, training specifically. It has to be for that. It, it has to be. And one of the things uh, I believe we, we've, we've touched on already would be Jay's use of peptides. So uh, these aren't harsh. Uh, it's just to getting them right, getting the way that they, they treat the body correct and genetically and i've touched on this in previous podcasts i think we can't argue that jay is genetically he's pretty much designed to be a bodybuilder if he had one bad thing going against it would be hip width but uh, it's shoulder width definition shape muscle size the fact that he's retaining muscle tissue now he's 47 years of age he looks to me, he looks at least 240 pounds and in shape and with ads and lines of the quads. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's just, as I said, I couldn't think those, those things. I'm going to say that he used diuretics purely and simply because those are things why I've got him into shape and, and got them a couple of Olympia wins. I'm, I'm thinking not really crazy dosages. There was a lot of crazy stuff around at the time. And in fact, if we, we were going to talk about some of the, the stuff that the other bodybuilders at his time were using, we're talking about the, the, the two or three deaths that we had in that decade, which were pretty much down to incredibly crazy, uh, and even now, obviously, uh, cycles, multiples of 10 in terms of the amounts of drugs that they were doing, and specifically diuretics and, and issues. I think Jay was competing when guys were dehydrating themselves to the point of stupidity and, and having heart attacks and being taken off to hospital. They didn't happen to Jay. 
So it's got to say that Jay was uh, better than that, not using those crazy kind of things and probably keeping it very simple. Uh, and that's something I've touched on again. I can see that he might have tried stuff there, but I, I bet you guys that the, your, the cycles is what we've suggested already are probably pretty much accurate. They're not crazy. They're not changing. He's not doing four weeks of this and four weeks of that and four weeks of that. And with the knowledge uh, and memory of the stuff that Chris Aceto does, I think Chris is one of those guys that there's a little bit of water and, and carbohydrate manipulation, you know, drying you out, filling you up in the last uh, few days before competition. Back to you, Steve. Yeah, so what do you think has been the change before we move into a, to his training uh, then versus now, uh, what guys are doing now? What do you think has been the change with the HGH and the peptide use from when Jay Cutler won the Mr. Olympia to, 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 to today from what you've heard? Let's suggest that the HGH just on its own. I'm going to say that what the, the article suggests we looked at, when we spoke in a previous podcast about Dorian Yates, he had actually said eight IUs a day. Now, people said, you know, they didn't believe that. I think the, the, the cycle that we discussed earlier on with the 12 IUs is probably accurate. What you and I both hear uh, is way higher numbers than that. I've seen cycles suggested of 20 IUs a day or more. And, and you go, I, I just can't see Jay's structure big as he was when he was 19, 20, 21, suggesting he's not using ridiculous amounts. There's no huge change to his structure. So I would suggest that the change between him then and the guys now, and, the, and another reason for the sort of short but bright uh, careers is that they're using, a, they're using a 20 IUs when Jay did very well, thank you very much, on the 12 IUs. The peptide stuff again, you and I see these uh, talk on, on the forums about fragments of this and fragments of that. And of course, they're fragments of growth hormone. They're coming from the growth hormone and then they're supposed to do specific things. So one of the uh, renowned, or should we say rumoured um, aspects of modern bodybuilding, I'm specifically thinking of the camel crew over in Kuwait, was the argument that the camel crew had better access to peptides and growth hormone than anybody else, that you could go to the chemist and you could get growth and that the peptide stuff was you know, kind of on hand. Um, so greater use of the peptides and certainly the 20 IUs or more. I mean, I'm, I, I don't I think Steve will probably confirm this, but I'm pretty sure I've seen one or two cycles with 13, 40 IUs a day, which is essentially, uh, what's that? That would be in English pounds. It's going to be about 100 pounds of growth every single day. And I think there's two reasons. In you go the, the crazy excessive drugs, a lot more growth in peptides, and literally the cost. So in order to do these cycles, it's very expensive. So again, that suggests short periods of time and short careers and whatever else, you know, put the house on it, buy loads and loads and loads of drugs, get absolutely crazy looking. It suggests a 30,000 pound, $40,000 cycles. And of course the growth hormone and the peptides are for what they cost, fucking expensive. So yeah, I, I can see this uh, being a reason why the guys are doing what they're doing now. 30 IUs a day of growth people sometimes 40 and i have seen higher figures I, I i'm i'm torn on saying what they do because some of the numbers i feel like we have to take it with a pinch of salt but if it's, it's the old thing if if what worked for dorian was eight and if what worked for jay was 12 and i'm going to guess that those are about right numbers then i think people are going to go then i'll take 20 and i'll be better than jay cutler no no he's 47 he looks better than you do right now so it's not happening but i can certainly see the 20 i use or more 
per day being used by the guys now has been the reason why they look the way that they look, why their careers are relatively short. The use of the peptides and the fragments. Steve will tell you this, their accessibility is what's changed. We, 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 I've got English bodybuilding magazines here with adverts for peptides. Whereas a few years ago, the camera crew were rumored to have access to this stuff. And we know more about peptides probably in the last three to five years than we knew three or four years ago, five years ago. So I think it's accessibility, Steve. What about you? I mean, I can literally grab a bodybuilding magazine here and I can show you an advert which includes the peptide fragment products in a double page spread advert in an English magazine. So it's got to be accessibility, Steve. What do you think? Yeah, because now you can just go online and order whatever you want. It's uh, it's a lot easier now. There's so many sources out there. It's 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 big business. So yeah, we no doubt um, they got a, they get a lot of HGH and then they get a lot of insulin to go with the HGH. So they get that that definitely get that that nutrient partitioning effect. Um, so let's you know let's transition now from that into training. Um, what did Jay Cutler do, mobster, that you heard? And then what do guys do today that's a little different from what he has been uh, historically doing? Okay, so Jay's a volume guy. It's, it's, regardless of time scale, he's a volume guy. Way more than me. I mean, obviously, I'm a lifter, not a bodybuilder. But in terms of actual uh, training, volume, 100%. Uh, he, 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 there are some videos, early videos, where he squats, but later stuff you don't see so much of that. The training times that I mentioned earlier on the late night, half empty gym stuff seems to be prevalent, especially in these earlier videos. The stuff that he does with uh, Dave, the, his video videographer now, is more daytime, but I think that's literally just being around people and uh, you know not being driven to compete. Uh, he, one of the things he started doing uh, in his recent videos is showing people angles and how to train and stuff like that. So you, you, you can see uh, 150 pound dumbbells early parts of the career, which are lighter now. A great fact, if anything, as, as an increase in volume with the lighter weights now compared to what he was doing when he was uh, competing as a Mr. Olympia contender or, or winner. Um, certainly a multi-angle fella. Uh, but then I don't. I got, I got the impression sometimes with Janie's videos, um, not first off he wasn't showing you everything, and secondly we're not talking about a down and dirty in 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 the in the um, uh, in a in a dungeon kind of gym in in, in you know out there fighting a war. There, there was never that kind of impression. It would, I was in fact quite often when I watched his videos, it wasn't that he wasn't training hard, but it wasn't the gut wrenching nasty horrible my life depends on it kind of stuff which is enjoyable to watch i mean obviously ronnie conwood would be a very good example of that there was no in the trenches was the word i was looking for the phrase i was looking for there was no feeling of that so you could almost argue that uh, as good as jay was and with the volume approach he was obviously working for jay but there was never quite the desperate need trying to gain that last gram, that last pound, that last quarter of a pound of muscle. He was pretty much 99% there. And then what we saw was he made him polish. So, you know, you'd see leg press, you would see hack squats, you'd see quite often the obvious and normal exercises, but down to a much higher volume, moderate weight, not heavy, heavy weights. We're talking about five, five, six plates, seven plates a side, maybe on hack squats. We're not talking about 10 plates. Uh, I think I can remember Instagram bodybuilders now when they've got eight, nine, ten plates aside. Jay never seemed to do that. I think five plates aside on squats. I believe, he, I think he actually says, I don't think he mentioned 
ever went much past 500 pounds, although it might have been higher reps earlier on in his career, to put the muscle on. So a volume guy, a about 80% in terms of his intensity uh, versus, say, uh, someone like uh, uh, Ronnie Coleman and, and the guys from uh, Metroflex in, in Texas. You're not talking about training in 115 degrees. It's not dust and dirty. These are all very clean, nice, tidy gyms. But whatever Jay was doing was working for Jay. The volume that he did wouldn't work for me, but it's actually probably tip, more typical of your typical bodybuilder. It's just obviously a greater response. Now, and in fact, I'm specifically thinking of the situation that we've all just recently endured. Uh, let's have uh, videos of him training in his home gym and is more actually, funny enough, previously you literally just saw him train. This is what I'm doing. Here's a video of it. Now you're actually getting Jay talking to the camera and explaining why he does this angle and why I pull the handles to this position and why I'll use a cable over a dumbbell and so on and so forth. So the, the, the reality of that situation is that whatever he's doing there is literally able to maintain the muscle tissue and, and still, as I said earlier on, look amazing. But yeah, a volume guy. So you know, we're talking about, I think me and Steve struck, struck on this, uh, touched on this in a previous podcast, eight to 10 sets per exercise. Uh, plenty of warming up, no crazy weights, about 80% of his one rep max. In, and, you know, eight to 12 reps, not a high rep guy, not a heavyweight guy, uh, and a moderately to, to high volume of, of training uh, with perhaps uh, just better able to get the muscles to work than most guys that could do a very, very similar routine. And as I say, if that would be then, I do recall that uh, he was talking about a little bit Dorian-esque when he says about having issues with squats and never having to go crazy heavy on them. And in fact, arguably, his quads, uh, I think his overall impression is of whip. But if you think about it, and I think Steve, Steve would agree with this, in terms of his actual structure, his quads were right up there. I mean, they weren't quite Tom Platt's-esque and they weren't quite quadzilla uh, Paul DeMeo-esque, but probably the best quads uh, at that time, especially on stage in the Olympia lineup was competing. What do you think, Steve? I'm, I'm going to say that they were right up there. If he actually had a smaller upper body, his quads would have looked even more freaky than they actually did. Feathering in the, in the inner muscles, separation on everything. Maybe back, they could have had better hamstrings, uh, separation and definition. But from the front, his quads were right up there. Something because he had a, a decent set of calves and a very broad upper body, but the quads didn't quite stand as much as would have done, say, as they did with Tom Platts and, and Paul DeMeyer. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. At that time, uh, it was in, uh, unbelievable um, how huge his, uh, his wheels were. So, you know, and I, I agree, the volume thing. When you have those types of genetics, let's, let's be honest with ourselves. When you have those types of genetics, volume is your friend, you know? And uh, to the average person, you go in there and you have that kind of genetics, you're just going to end up sore and injured, <laughs> you know, and, and it, you know, whatever order you want to take it in, either sore or injured. So I always laugh in the gym when I see guys trying to work out and they're following, you know, Mr. Olympia types of workouts, uh, kind of like the, you know, let's work out our arms for, for two hours straight. And uh, it's just a lack of understanding of how our bodies work. Because if you work out your hours, two hours straight, all you're going to end up is is tendonitis in your elbows. I've seen sort of one thing recently, which was one guy said that the moment he gets back in the gyms, I'm not talking about over in the UK where the gyms opened up 
on, on Monday, two days ago. And uh, he said he's going to spend two hours, two hours on biceps and two hours on triceps. And I think mate, you're going to be out, you're going to be out for another three months because you won't want to go back to the gym. And the second thing, which you've just touched on, is, is 100% correct. If you go, someone like Jay with his genetics is able to do the volume that he is. And let's say that it takes him an hour and a half, right? I wouldn't want to train my chest for an hour and a half. Uh, certainly not with the volume that he's doing, certainly not with the number of exercises. Uh, realistically, it'd probably take me three hours to do the, the volume and the exercises he's doing just because I'm a slow lifter. And three hours of training one body part, come on, guys. If I'm, I'm, I'm a big guy and I wouldn't want to do it. I've got semi-decent genetics for size, if not necessarily separation and, and definition, not at my age, maybe when I was younger. But um, no, the, 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 it's a big mistake. There are things you can learn from Jacob. Uh, but it'd be a big mistake if you are a normal, typical, and especially natural bodybuilder. Maybe drug assisted helps a little bit with this kind of stuff, but it's a big mistake for you if you are genetically average, not, not horrible, no genetics whatsoever, and not crazy Jacob genetics. If you're genetically average, to do the volume that he does, to train the way that he does, you can learn from his form because his technique was always pretty good from, from memory. Um, I don't think we saw any sloppy. We didn't see, uh, if we saw any, we, we saw very little cheating. So that was pretty much, that's something you can learn right there, guys. His food, pretty much all his videos includes him training. One of the things I think, if I touched on this separately, was that Jay was very keen, regardless of the times that he got up and went to the gym. And I do recall him training late, at, late in the night in certain of his videos, getting business out of the way. But he was very keen on having at least two meals. So there's something right there, guys. And you saw him cooking his food. This wasn't food being put. It wasn't meal prepping in those days. He was cooking his own food. And you saw him specifically in the right kind, whether it was fish and rice, prepared by Jay, on camera, eaten, and then off to the gym at crazy o'clock to do this volume training. So he's, he's learned to meal prep for himself. He's eating very clean food which he's prepared again, seasoned, whatever. He's one of the guys showing you how to season and, and spice up the food to make it decent. He can cope with this volume. Uh, so, for example, you might say, okay, those 8 to 12 reps, the, the moderate range on the reps is something that everybody, could, a typical person, could benefit from. I would probably suggest that you cut down the sets a little bit. Uh, uh, and his form, his form was dead strict. And I'm, I'm going to touch on something else um, if we get past the training in a minute. I think, and, and Steve and I discussed this uh, before we did the podcast, his approach to being a bodybuilder and specifically to being a the business of being a bodybuilder is even now a masterclass, an absolute masterclass in terms of what it means to be a professional athlete. What do you think, Steve, in terms of his business? One of his, his book is called The CEO of Bodybuilding. Uh, he's very business-like in his approach to pretty much everything. And, and as a businessman, he doesn't quite have the fortune, say, of an Arnold Schwarzenegger, but certainly right up there. And an example, exemplary example of what it means to be a professional bodybuilder for other professional bodybuilders to follow. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, and I think he's one of the guys of that era that that did kind of go that direction. So he had that that little ability. Remember, he does have a, a degree as well. Um, even though he started bodybuilding really young, he did went, go ahead and finish his degree. So I think that's a good lesson for guys listening to this. Even if you do want to pursue bodybuilding, there's no reason why you still can't get an education and pursue bodybuilding at the same time. I think that was important to him for sure. Um, 
Um, you know, as soon, as far as, you know, let's get into his diet, but first, you know, I think one of the things that we've seen though, over the past 10, 15 years is efficiency in weight training, even though there's, you know, obviously guys today are still doing a lot of volume. I think guys are learning how to make their workouts more efficient. And I think that we're seeing them even work out a little less when it comes to how much time they're actually spending in, in the gym. And I think that, we're learning that not just in bodybuilding, but other sports as well, that less is better when you're efficient. So if you go in there and you, you really dial in your workouts, that's going to be better than just time, spending a lot of time working that muscle. Remember, at the end of the day, the objective with resistance and weight training when it comes to bodybuilding is to break down the muscle. You break down that muscle and then have it recover back. So you know, that's, that's something that people have to remember when they're pursuing bodybuilding. It's not the, the person who pounds their muscles the most. It's the person who gets the most efficient workout that's going to have the, the best results, all things being equal. Um, but yeah, we'll, we can cover that. We'll, you know, there's so much to cover when it comes to that. But I think we kind of hit on the obvious on that. Definitely, it's, it's the volume. It's the efficiency of their workouts. And obviously, it's all the stuff they're taking that allows them to be efficient in the workout. And of course, they're amazing genetics. Um, when you're born to do something, then, you know, high volume will definitely uh, work out for you. Um, so let's go. I know you got a lot to say about his diet. So there is actually a video. I don't know, Mobster, um, if you think we should uh, link it when we, uh, you know, put out this podcast but it's called Jay Cutler grocery shopping and he, it shows him grocery shopping and he's got, basically he goes, it's very fascinating. He goes and he buys a lot of, you know, food. Um, he's buying tons of, uh, he's fish, frozen fish. He's buying tons of protein uh, sources. He's buying, you know, all kinds of things. He has a whole list of cottage cheese. He's got, um, to, you know, lots of tomatoes and vegetables and, and some of the uh, bittery fruits, uh, water, drinks a lot of water. He likes almond milk, uh, chicken, obviously. Um, so, you know, you can go through that video and kind of, have you seen that video and, and seen what he bought? I think I have. I've certainly seen the videos when he's uh, cooking half the things that you've just said and there's fruit bowls in, in the kitchen. I believe there's actually uh, the way that they filmed it. You've got him eating a piece of fruit while he's cooking. As I said, I seem to recall him cooking uh, chicken and turkey breast stuff. You see this on camera. You see him uh, preparing the bowls of rice, the 100%, which I mentioned already, having the, his thing was to have as many meals as he possibly could before he went to the gym, at least two, regardless of what time he got up and, and hit that kind of stuff. I know that he meal preps now and is more likely to meal prep now. So that's something that's changed in terms of having those things prepared for him. And yet you still see him doing videos where he's cooking. So there's none of this stuff where, where I mean, he's learned how to take plain bodybuilding food and make it tasty. And, and, and that's something that was very important, obviously, nutritionally speaking. It's not, you, you, I don't think uh, any of the Jay Cutler videos having gone into restaurants, which we see even with Ronnie Coleman's videos going off, you know, steakhouses and stuff you don't see that with jay you, you i think there might be one maybe where they're celebrating him winning in mystery Olympian. he's got the gang down for a meal before they started him was it jay that was one of the guys that was doing the after party so i think he did one video where you see him sitting down with, with the gang in a restaurant pretty much everything else is cooking in the house and steve me and i both agree on this in terms of nutrition 
when we say about guys going out to restaurants and having fast food and takeouts and whatever else and forgetting the, the amount of sources and, and the low-grade meat that's kind of going into and protein sources are not good, that's why they're spiced up, that's why they're covered in sources. So what do you learn from Jay? That he goes, he knows to what to look for, that he's going to Costco, I believe, and, and a couple of his videos and buying a trolley full of meat and a trolley full of fish. He's eating fresh vegetables and he's learned, he's learned 100% to cook for himself. And all of the bodybuilding videos I can recall and the actual DVDs, and you can see some of these online now, of course, where he's half the videos, he's talking to the camera about his approach to training, about what he's thinking in terms of his uh, next com upcoming competition. He's in the kitchen, he's either in the office or in the kitchen, he's either doing his business or he's in the kitchen, and you can see him actually cooking stuff. And it's plain, it's simple, and it's nutritious. And that's something, you guys, is, regardless of what you think has changed between now and then, that works. Learn to look, cook your own chicken breast, learn to cook your own turkey breast, learn to cook your own fish. Eating, I think that was one of the things that you might argue with Jay that might be slightly different, that he seemed to be a high risk one of the carbs. And I do recall one uh, article that was suggesting some crazy amount of protein, something on the order between six and 800 grams a day, which, uh, yeah, uh, not much fat. Very high carbs and very slightly higher, so a, a thousand to one thousand two hundred grams of carbs. Um, the guy that must have been a furnace, maybe it's maybe it's living and working in Las Vegas because that is a lot of calories for a guy that's only training in for the most of the rest of the day sitting sitting on his back in his office. I mean, there was a little bit which we didn't see on camera then when it was the early days of his mail order business, so whether that, that was being done in house. And in fact, on, on, on that aspect, again, he still does a lot of that work himself. So that's keeping him physically moving around and burning the calories off. But 800 grams a day, Steve, was one number that was quoted uh, for his protein intake. And, and I believe 1,000 to 1,200, that might be an off-season number for his carbohydrates. And all of that's from fairly straightforward, simple food. So again, he would have been one of the six meals a day bodybuilders with those two that I've said already, pre-training as the absolute minimum. And I think that if you train later in the day, it could quite often be three or four meals before you hit the gym. Me, as an example, and I'll ask Steve the same question in a minute, I get up, have breakfast, and then I work out. So I, 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 my last meal would be the night before, and my first meal is breakfast, and then I'm in the gym. So I'm kind of using some of the fuel from what I've just eaten that morning, but quite often I'm relying on fuel from last night. What about you, Steve, when it comes to your training? Because you're, you're, you're closer to a bodybuilder than I am. What's, what's your diet like and as a modern guy? And how many meals are you having before you hit the gym? Well, I mean... Because you're much more like the typical bodybuilder. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely not waking up and eating and then going to work out for sure. My workouts would be crap if I did that. So I like to fast, fast the workout. And I think one of the things that has transitioned from bodybuilding then and bodybuilding now i think more guys are doing it that way because they're they're realizing that maybe maybe you know it's better to not just wake up and eat tons of food and then go work out so if they do like to work out in the morning it makes i think it makes more sense to wake up get your workout in then you can take your insulin take you know you got the hgh in your system already from injecting it you wake up inject the hgh Go work out, um, take the insulin, and then you're going to have your meal in that, in that order. And I think, guys, that's the trend that we've seen in, in recent Yeah, I actually, I'm going to, something that Steve just reminded me, I, I, I've mentioned in a couple of previous podcasts, the, the local pro, 
the local IFBB pro, uh, James Llewellyn, I want to name drop there. And James uh, does a fasted cardio, walk around the park, a couple of uh, laps around the park, about three or four miles of fasted cardio. And I, I, I know he's a morning trainer. So I'm going to say that Dave's is a fasted cardio, which I don't think Jay was doing. So there's a change right there. And Steve's saying, and I'm agreeing, I think a lot of the guys are doing this, whether it's a faster cardio or a faster gym workout. I'm going to say faster cardio is a lot more prevalent now than it was then. 100% in fact. I, I, can't think, I can't think of anything. Jay does, what's he said? One of James has got the YouTube videos, which are very, very popular, funny enough. And him and, and Dave that does the videos, Jay walking. So I'm going to say faster cardio, something he does now that he wasn't doing then. So there's a change. And I think uh, his workouts and my local pros workouts is a small meal, then they're hitting the gym. So there's a little bit of a difference. Um, I can see more guys, as because we know that the body will adapt to this. I can't see me doing it, but I know 100% that pretty much any time I've ever made the change, it's been horrible. And then I've got used to it. So guys, Fasted training, fasted cardio works. You, it's going to be one of those things that you're going to feel very uncomfortable with, especially the first few training sessions when you're used to having a meal or whatever, even something simple. And then your body gets used to it. Then it adapts. Arguably, and I think Steve would agree, it becomes more efficient. Uh, it, 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 it's, it, the other thing, and Steve, you could uh, uh, tell the, the listeners on this, isn't there some argument with the, the fasted training, the fasted cardio for, for hormone release? Is that correct? Yeah, but, in the, but, but here's the thing. For the average Joe, yes. But with these guys, they're already taking tons of peptides, tons of HGH. So it's not, it's not going to make a difference on that. Yeah, but yeah, you do – if you're in a fasted state uh, for greater than uh, 15, 20 hours, you do release – start releasing growth hormone. Um, and it releases more and more and more and more over time. But with these guys, look, they're on so much HGH. But in their situation, I think the benefit to, to these guys and what they're realizing is when your body has to digest the meal while you're working out, that's just taking away energy from your workout. And I think they're realizing, you know what, that's not an efficient way to do it, especially with cardio. Because what's going to happen is if you've got a lot of food in your stomach and you're doing cardio, your body's going to say, you know what, I want to get rid of this food. So it's either going to go in out one way or the other very, very quickly in very, very liquid form because your body's going to want to repel it so it can focus its energy on the destruction that you're doing on your body. So if it's a heavy workout or if it's a, you know, a very fast paced uh, weightlifting session or cardio, you know, you're going to lose your lunch. And so, um, and I've talked to so many people who lose their lunch from working out, especially on leg day and they keep doing <laughs> They keep having protein shakes before they're working. I'm like, dude, don't do that anymore. You're going to, you know, for myself in terms of the food stuff. And this is a guys, one of the things I've said when, when the people have been asking them, here's what happens. Guys will come on a forum and it's kind of probably going to be newbies. Uh, sorry, newbies, but this is a, this is what the way you think sometimes. So they'll say, what meal should I have before I work? And I go, do you know what guys? While it is important to some small degree, the food that you have, if you don't train fasted, the reality of the situation is 
every meal that you've had in the last 24 hours. If you didn't train, let's say that yesterday was Sunday and you, you had three good, four good meals yesterday, some of that is going to fuel your workout today, not just the meal that you'll have in five minutes, half an hour, two hours before the workout. So don't think of one single thing. Think of all of the things that you're doing. Steve's quite correct. In fact, if arguably, and this is the way that I might think in that term process, if the hormones that they're ingesting and we know they're ingested with a great many hormones, they're probably exaggerating the hormonal response. They say, this is a hormone that's released, and this hormone's released, and growth hormone's released, then I would definitely make sure that I've got those in my system, and I'll take them to an excess of what the body would naturally produce. So there you go. That's another manipulation. I think we're also, for example, and I'm just thinking that even with pre-workouts, which, which neither of us are big fans of, having a pre-workout, say, for example, on an empty stomach versus having it with food, and having it at the right time, we're much more aware now, certainly more than Jay would have been back in the day, although he might have been learning about it at the time, where we get information from. We're, so, we're much more aware now of those kind of things and how to manipulate the time scales, so that you know we know how far ahead of time, if we were using the hormones that he was, how far ahead of time we should inject. Do we, how far ahead of time that we would take a pre-workout, how far ahead of time we would eat beforehand. And say, so for example, I've never spewed from from a leg workout but what i have done and again i train i eat and then i train after after getting up within a couple of hours a couple of cups of coffee and then we're in the gym um i have had a glycogen crash afterwards so there's a good example of me pushing myself in a particular way and depleting how i feel so obviously the thing for me would be to have something immediately after the workout not necessarily for muscle recovery per se but just so that if i go off on one of my my trail walks straight after the gym which is something i regularly do i'm not running on empty i've you know depleted myself in the gym and this is how bodybuilding has been so advantageous as a sport for almost every other athlete because we are the great manipulators of the hormones and the great manipulators of nutrition and we've taken information from the 80s and 90s and, and 2000s mid-2000s in uh, Jay's case and learn and learn and learn and picked up that information we've picked it apart we've we've what did the what was the pro doing how did the pro live what was how many meals was the pro having a good example and I touched on it earlier is you do not need I don't need and I'm bigger than Jay in terms of my physical overall body weight Jay never got to the weight that I am, and I do not need 800 grams of protein a day. And when I read that Jay was taking those kind of numbers back in the day, I thought it was excessive. I could see Jay doing quite well, thank you very much, on 400 grams. Whether the peptides and the growth and the steroids he was taking at the time made him better able to absorb and utilize that, maybe. But again, if that's what Jay was doing, but I wasn't hearing those crazy numbers off the other bodybuilders. So it might work for him, but it wasn't working for everybody else. But we take all that information, we lay it out, we discuss it, we debate it, we go on the forums, we have a back and forth, and we go, do you know what? And I'm, I, I guarantee you, for example, that there's an enormous amount of bodybuilders on our forums that are taking way more protein than I am. Uh, I, and I didn't need 800 grams a day. I'd be very, very surprised if I get anywhere close to 400 grams. In fact, I'd probably guess that most of mine, when I've actually bothered to write it down and work it out, is around 300 grams a day, uh, sometimes a little bit under, enough to maintain my size and enough for occasional bits of growth. But then I'm not using loads and loads of hormones and peptides and wherever else. So, yeah, there, there you go. We, we learn from those things that they did. We, we 
go over it with a fine tooth comb and we, we use that information for ourselves. And of course, this is what Steve and I are doing. We're passing that information on to you and via the forearms. Back to you, Steve. Yeah, and so, you know, you touched on it, you know, in conclusion of this podcast, guys. The past 15 years, Jay Cutler did an amazing thing. He was a pioneer for a lot of ways. A lot of these Mr. Olympia guys that have strings of Mr. Olympias, they've changed the way things were by experimenting. So I think he experimented a lot with things like diuretics, with ACH, with peptides, with, with high protein. We definitely today, it's, it's not – in, in some ways we do more, but in, in a lot, most ways we do less. So with protein intake, guys know today you don't need that much protein. You need way less protein, oh, yeah. but they're yeah. efficient with their drug use, their PED use, their meal timing, their, their workout timing, their cardio timing, their insulin timing, their peptide timing, their HGH timing, all that stuff, steroid timing with the esters. There's more understanding of the short esters, long esters. Obviously, guys who compete at that high level, they will gravitate more to short esters, especially in season, because they want the flexibility ahead of more their rehab, more recovery, more massaging, more manipulation, more deep tissue. Everything got dialed in. But but really, Jay Cutler, you know, I just want to make it clear, he was a pioneer with this stuff. And a lot of stuff he did, um, a lot of guys today have kind of piggyback. And he was a little more open than most mr yeah. olympia guys like he put out that video on grocery shopping which which we'll we'll link for you you can watch that he was more open of what he did he was like look this is this is what i buy my grocery shopping yada 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 so you know he was a he was a pioneer and you gotta have a lot of respect for the guy uh what do you have to say uh mobster in conclusion before we finish i think that's something i said earlier on is the pros pro professional in every single aspect once he started making a name for himself once he started winning Everything was on point. The, I, I mean, as a businessman, as an athlete, as an ambassador, as a guy, how to be at expos, how to be with fans. The, the videos he was producing were tip-top professional. He was spending the bucks and he's respected. He's respected by so many pros. There are photographs of him backstage with the guys now, suited and booted and turning up properly dressed being a professional like a top top athlete in any other sport what i'm just what just as an example i believe that he may well have been the best paid mr olympia of all time not just for the prize money but for the contracts and in fact i'm sure steve knows this as well i believe he's still got 20 contracts something crazy like that so what what an athlete in terms of the professionals professional Jay would be El Numero Uno. 20-plus contracts now as a retired bodybuilder is outstanding. Our guys that can't handle one contract for long enough. And Jay's up, I think the, the, the one he does with the belt company has been going for 15 or 20 years. The one he's been going with the shoe companies for 15 or 20 years. That's without mentioning muscle tech and the crazy money that he was getting back in the day. Yeah, that's, that's me done, Steve. Back to you, fella. Better finish. All right, guys. So we're going to have another podcast next week. Keep an eye on it. Um, if you haven't checked out our other hardcore episodes, uh, they're up as well. And uh, they're really, really interesting. So for Steve Smee and Mobster, another episode of Evolutionary Network Hardcore. And we will talk to you guys on the next one. Have a good one, Mobs. You guys, you guys. Bye.